Welcome to today's episode of the Ideonomics podcast, where we talk about inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility, and anti-racism in the Canadian public service. I'm your co-host, Neha Shizad Chandarajan, joining you from Ottawa, which is the land of the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe peoples. And I'm Sean Karmali, joining you from Toronto, which is traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. Today, we're joined by Jaspal Parmer. Hi, Jaspal. Hi, Hi Jaspal. Hey, Sean. Good to have you here. Um, could you let us know what your current role is in the government? And if you could take us back to when you decided to pursue a career in the public service. Thank you, Neha. So. A little bit of my background here. So I'm right now I'm a senior director at Shared Services Canada. And I've been here for six years now in the client relationship function. And so I kind of like to think of it as United Nations where I'm, I'm sitting in between two important mandates being SSCs and my customers, PSPCs, where um, in every conversation, I'm trying to strike a balance of what meets the interest of Canadians, which is super neat to be in. And so that's, you know, you know Two mandates, trying to find that right balance and to be able to deliver. And so I'm responsible for the relationship and delivery oversight for a fantastic team of about 16, 17 people. And uh, yeah, and so that's my job today. Um, so perhaps you could take us back to when you decided to begin a career in government. How did you start? Where did you enter from? And, and uh, maybe take us back into... Uh, what your headspace was like, what you knew about your identity, and and why you chose government in the first place. So I started in the government back in 2001. And before that, I was in college at Algonquin College here in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a three-year program. And so when I started college, the idea was you can make so much money if you join in IT. Uh, you join an IT, you're going to get a job, you'll be in the US, you'll be making more money than you can imagine, which was great. And I was already kind of a fan of IT. I'm really good at finding, you know, efficiencies and fixing things, if you will. So I kind of found it like an easy knack for me. But by the time I left college or just got out of college, the market had crashed for IT. So those opportunities weren't necessarily there. Um, I wasn't actually looking at the government per se. Um, but it ended up being one of the first opportunities that was put in front of me. So it's definitely struck my interest. It wasn't that high paying gig, but there was something about that idea that I was just, you know, slowly learning about of the, you know, um, being, uh, having an important mandate effectively, you know, the policies that serve Canada and being able to support that. And so I started in the government at Health Canada back in 2001 as a desktop support technician uh, in a laboratory helping scientists and so I got to like work besides, you know, giving new IT equipment for people like doctors who were, for example, working in a monkey barn. And so I would be rolling my carts, giving them new IT things. And I'd see, you know, like all the latest tests and things, everything like that. So it was really, really neat for me. So that's when I started back in 2001. Uh, where was I in life? Still trying to figure myself out. <laughs> I think that, you know, it was my first job. And uh, my full first like real job, I had a co-ops and I've done a whole bunch of, you know, I've done tons of, you know, side gigs, if you will, but a real formal job. And my family 
was so proud of that. Like, I think that the idea of just being able to work for the government and being able to offer back, especially coming where my family comes from, um, and, and being one of the best institutions in the world when it comes to government, federal government uh, for Canada, was uh, super happy. And so if you think of uh, like an Indian marriage, it was kind of that kind of party that we had for, for me joining the federal government. It was uh -huh. a big deal for us being the first, uh, first of us, if you will, to be able to join the government and having formal education here in Canada. And so it was super, super happy for my family. And it was a big party. My headspace was of just finding stability in my life. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I've, I've always been very ambitious. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, having a path, having a full-time job with stability behind it meant that I could actually, you know, have some a strong foothold to kind of continue where I wanted to go, which was um, establishing a family mm -hmm. and being good with the banks and, and being able to offer something kind of, you know, overall. And so... Um, yeah, um, you know, financial stability, family stability, make my parents proud were all super things that were important to me at that time. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. I'm so glad your uh, family threw you a huge party. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and just on that, that identity piece about family and stability, you know, uh, and you did go into it just a bit. Um, in terms of how your how your understanding of your own identity, how did that shape some of those choices in your career progression? I know you mentioned being good with the banks, um, so so some of those you know pieces are important, I think, to identity. What can you say about? Um... So um, I couldn't speak about my identity without speaking to my family first, and so uh, identity wise. My family brought a lot. So I'm the first sibling. I'm, I was the first born here in Ottawa out of three siblings. And so there was a lot of sacrifices made for, for me to be able to be where I was. And so for my father um, coming here, making sacrifices that he made for me to be able to go to school and, and trying to find that stability for me to, you know, to, to have money, to be able to support me during that transition and, and, you know, into the formal workplace was super important. And so when I think of identity, um, I just, I just, the first thing is just, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes behind what I do today. And, and so he gave me the lane and the opportunities. So for me, it was just to be able to seize those things that were made. And if I didn't seize those opportunities, I'd be kind of a disappointment, if you will, you know, like all that work that we did yeah. to kind of bring us to this country and the sacrifices that we made from a cultural identity, from a family identity and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So there was a lot of pressure on my shoulders being the first sibling and, and being the first, you know, the first in Canada to be able to do something. And so um, don't get me wrong. I loved having that pressure at the same time, but I, it, when it comes to identity, it was just, just wanted to making sure that my parents and, and, and my siblings saw, you know, the, the things that my family had done and then being mm -hmm. able to continue that for, my, for the, the future. And so yeah. when I think of identity, it's just a family person first. I've always, I've, I've always wanted to have a big family. I have four children today. And so, you know, just the idea of having a Wonderful. big family and, and being able to offer more and give them the support to keep that tradition of, you know, sacrifice and devotion, mm -hmm. selfless service was super important to me. I didn't know any of these things back in 2001. Like this is like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm able to kind of like look back and kind of paraphrase these things, if you will. Not mm -hmm. that I necessarily had all those emotions or understood those emotions when it came to my identity, mm -hmm. 
but um, I just felt that I had to represent as best as I could. And that was for a community, a small tight-knit sick community in Ottawa. That was for my father and the family. That was for the, the, the multi-generational family that I, that I represented when I was going out at school, in the public, and in the workplace. Wow, if I can just pick on that for a moment, because you know what you've shared is, and I think that resonates with, with myself and, and probably Neha as well, which is this value of honor um, and sacrifice and knowing that family is important to honor and, and things like that. And really appreciated what you just shared on that. And curious to know at that time, uh, when you were when you were making these decisions that you probably didn't know consciously about at the time, who are your mentors? I didn't really have, I think, the mentorship or the support that I needed, to be honest with you, just kind of like collectively. Like I, you know, my father was definitely there. I didn't see him in that space. I, you know, like I didn't kind of see him as a mentor. You know, you know, definitely there kind of from a spiritual connection as, as well as my mom. But in the mentorship role or in that kind of that, I, I don't know if I had somebody. And I think that was part of my challenge mm-hmm. joining into the government was just trying to kind of fit myself in or knowing what my identity was at that time. And so just fast forward today, and when I think of mentorship and all the things that government's doing today and, and, and kind of and being a mentor today is those things that I felt like I missed back in 2001 that I wish that was there for me. And so I'm making a point today to make those things happen. And so, yeah, I didn't have a mentor per se, but I found music mm-hmm. to be a source of inspiration and knowledge. And, uh, and with that came, and, and when I'm talking about music, I'm talking about hip hop and, and reggae. Yep. Mm. I learned a lot through music that the schools weren't teaching me about history, about uh, minorities in this world. And I could really resonate and feel that passion and understand it. And that's where I was getting it from. So when, you know, it was, it was me and my friends who were kind of in the same space mindset. We're all trying to do the same thing, was trying to you know, bring the families up, bring stability into this, into this place called Canada, and, and, and which is what we knew and loved. And uh, we were just leaning on each other more than mm-hmm. anything. And I, th- I think that that's where we would, I would find, if anything, was just through my friends, you know, just kind of like-minded people who were in the same space as I was trying to do those same things and just encouraging each other and testing each other and having fun all at the same time. And so that's where I think I got the most, definitely through music and through friends. Mm-hmm. You speaking my language with hip hop, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's amazing things in there that people don't recognize. Uh, that, that that come through their the, the voice of of the, the people who need a voice and so mm-hmm. um going back to like my language in, in Punjabi and in my culture the, the religion Sikhism you know going to church uh, going to our temple um and, and the language that they're using didn't really resonate but to hear power in the English language mm-hmm. something I can like understand and appreciate in, in the music and in the stories that they were telling and how they delivered it I was awestruck by that. And so I've, I'm not a poet by any means, but mm-hmm. I can definitely appreciate poetry in the hip hop. And then when I think of reggae, of course, the whole Marley family, I can't pick just one, but just to say that whole Marley family mm-hmm. and the vibe that they give of unity and, and equity and, and hope mm-hmm. is something that really resonates with me. And then of course they have a nice drum bass behind it, which just speaks volumes to me of of the bung, you know, of, of Punjabi Bhangra as well. So that hard bass line and, and the and the drums and 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 that with a nice voice and a powerful message. Mm-hmm. I've been hooked yeah. since a kid. That's how we rock out, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just got bangers. 
<laughs> Bhangra bangers. Yeah. You probably heard of like a lot of the Brampton rappers or artists coming out now. I'll send you a couple of them, but um, <laughs> they're doing this great thing where they where they combine Bhangra and uh, and rap, and it's blowing up everywhere. I'll get to that later. But yeah. <laughs> music and food, the great uniters. I wonder, since you you said you came from a big family, and I guess that was no. Um, that wasn't an understatement. You said multi generational home that you were in when you were growing up. Um, so, how many families um, did you have with you? So we were um, four generations in a small home that included my uh, uncle's family as well. So there was about ten of us, ten to twelve okay. of us, and and, uh, and it was also an open door. So when family or even just relatives of family needed a space when they came from Punjab and they were looking for a place just to you know find their their footing as well mm-hmm. or our door was open yeah. and so I was just used to an open door policy if you will where I had uh, myself as the eldest siblings my parents mm-hmm. my father mom my uncle and their siblings my mm-hmm. grandparents and my great-grandmother so when I'm talking multi-generational, multi-generational family, that's exactly it. It was just a whole bunch of us in the same space trying to make sense of it all. And, yeah. and, and so there was a lot of things that I observed as a kid, uh, just a lot of observations were made through that multi-generational kind of lens. I was really fortunate to have. No, that's incredible. And it's a, it's a story that I, I hear a lot from, and I love that. That's something that you don't always really like. I find the Western culture is a little bit different in that we're here. It's like everybody needs their independence. You have to be independent. Um, whereas back home, it's much more you live together as a family. Whoever needs to come stay, you come stay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that we kept that across oceans. So <laughs> I'm really <laughs> glad to hear uh, that you were, I mean, it must have been, it must have been pretty busy and pretty crowded and difficult in its own ways, but also really enriching. Uh, I only appreciate now. I probably as a kid, I, I I felt like it was there was a lot of um, anger in me actually. Yeah. Not necessarily about being a multi generational family, but just trying to make sense of it all and just feeling the things that my parents were like. Everybody had their own story of trying to figure this out at mm-hmm. every single level. Mm-hmm. And so you can just imagine every institution, whether it's you know the medical, financial, workplace, or whatever, just trying to everybody trying to come back home with their stories of how it went down at work or at the mm-hmm. trying to get help. Um, in different services and so when I say you know that that feeling of anger was uh, and I couldn't make sense of why I was angry but I think just there was a lot going on so as much as it was loving to be in that space and have those opportunities mm-hmm. and it gave me a lot of perspectives to, for today it was probably very frustrating at the same time to just know that there was that much or lack of like equity happening around me and it was in every lens it wasn't just me it was everybody feeling it and so mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so so fast forwarding to today, I'm really happy where kind of the the culture is going. If that the shift in culture where we're having much more open conversations about um, equity, and that's in the workplace. That's talking about home, and and mm-hmm. and Neha and Sean, I'm really happy to have this conversation with you today as well. So when you first enter the public service to today, um, how did you find that? What was your impression of like? the government's efforts to curb racism or enhance equity, diversity, and inclusion? And how has that maybe changed um, today? I didn't even know that it was a thing to be thinking about the racism and diversity in the Canadian government. You know, I, mm-hmm. I grew up in the, in the schools here. And so in my mindset, you know, I, I've been around these communities. And so I know these people well. And, and, and so it wasn't, I didn't think of it was going to be an issue joining, uh, you know, the, 
I think the hardest part for me was just the cultural shift of um, authority. I came from, you know, like the idea of, you know, like you just respect your elders and uh, you do what you're told to do. Um, and then the workplace coming in net new, there was kind of an expectation that you kind of like, you got to challenge and you got to kind of speak up to things. And I found that really hard for me to do for, for my first few years, just, you know, like a, just this idea, you know, jazz, you stay in your place, but now, you know, I'm expected to speak up in the workplace and, and have an opinion thought. So for me, I think that was the biggest thing. Racism and, or, you know, the lack of, lack of equity wasn't a thing when I joined the government. I was so happy, so, so happy to be part of it. I only came into kind of encountering the challenges in this space. I want to say probably in my, you know, fourth or fifth year in the federal government when i when i felt i was doing a good job and, and everybody saw it but then i didn't see the i didn't see a path like what's 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 next for me and not having a mentor you know kind of you know not having a mentor to help me out and not having any support when i brought something up was super disappointing to me and so i think that's where i realized that there was something here in the government that needed to be fixed but i didn't know how and i just felt like another I just felt like a small piece in this whole equation. Like I was, I was just overwhelmed. And so when I faced it, like, you know, when I faced the lack of opportunity or, you know, some challenging space, some challenging things that happened to me in, in, the, in the federal government, I was really disappointed about the reaction that I got back when I did raise these things. And, and so, yeah, so, you know, part of me being an executive today and, and being able to co-champion it. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. You are a co-champion at uh, Shared Services Canada. I know that I'm part of a visible minority network at Statistics Canada, and we have we have a champion there. And coming to the the question about, you know, I heard you say that the EDI discussion when you were sort of moving into government wasn't really something that you were that that people were aware of. Uh, it was mm -hmm. sort of something that was sort of coming up. And now that we're in this place where EDI is talked about, you know, uh, in a lot of spaces. The idea of mentorship, like just kind of my own mindset has always been trying to help others as best I can, like being very action oriented. I am part of the sponsorship and mentorship programs. Um, I am mentoring a few people uh, right now. And I think it's super, super important that I do so. And, and in fact, that I think every executive should be mentoring somebody. You know, I think it's super important and it is, it's not necessarily about like, you know, like the, the equity, it's just that everybody needs a bit of guidance that's not written down in, in a document somewhere of just how to approach things and, um, and to kind of, you know, just help with expectations and, and help with difficult conversations or just how to kind of, you know, like just, just how to work through things in the government. Like when we sign ourselves up, most of us have a long journey ahead and there's, and there's ups and downs in that in that relationship with the federal government. And so you just got to have a hand through it. And so I personally love the sponsorship and mentorship programs. I think it's an amazing thing that we're doing and we should never lose that aspect of it again. Now it's here. Let's seize that moment. Let's program it into our, into our workplace where it would never actually leave or disappear again. You know, that, you know, you're, yeah. you join, tick, you're joined. Oh, somebody just joined the government. Who is that? An executive will be reaching out to you soon to have a conversation with you and to just, you know, help you out. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing across 400,000 strong that we are? So mm -hmm. that, that's kind of where my headspace is at of just, you know, trying to help out. As a co-champion for the Visible Minority Network, it's obviously I'm trying to, uh, I'm helping out those that are in those equity-seeking groups. And it's not necessarily about my network per se. Um, I'm, I'm really close, uh, an ally to other networks. And I'm, I'm mentoring from those groups. And so it's not just about visible minorities per se. It's just, it's just offering a hand. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, that's where we're, we'll be able to serve our best is when we're when we have the guidance that we need behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Having so having you as like someone as a senior director be a co-champion for like any visible minority network, I think Sean would agree as well. Uh, I can't tell you what a huge help it is because even now, like this year, I've been having we've been doing various advocacy efforts and having that support of an executive that can advocate for us. I hope that vision that you spelled out does come true, where as soon as you come into the government, you have an executive reach out and say, hey, like, welcome. Um, you're here, I'll hear you, and I'll advocate for you. I think that's great. How do you find yourself as, as senior director now? To be honest with you, I was stuck in a, a whirlwind of emotions, and I was lost for a couple of years. Mm. I really was lost. I, I was trying to you know, figure myself out, okay, so what do I do? I guess, you know, I was looking for help. Mm -hmm. And, and I went to my parents first, just, you know, like, this is what's happening at work and I'm trying and I'm super loyal to the government and, you know, and I love being here, but I'm stuck. And I had two different views from my parents. My, my father's view was you do what you're told and you keep quiet. Mm -hmm. You just Sounds take like it and, and you stay quiet. Mm -hmm. My mom, on the other hand, was, um, she's a fighter. And she was just like, you know, you just, you keep fighting. You don't stay quiet. You just speak up. And so you can just tell that even at home, I was kind of getting different vibes. And from my perspective, you know, I would, what made me so disappointed was I thought that everybody would understand who I was. And I would never even find myself in this situation because I really felt part, like I've, I've, I've grown up in this community. And so for me to be at work in Ottawa, I never thought I'd find myself in this type of situation. But when I did, it took me, uh, I was super disappointed in... The, rea the reaction of, of my leadership at the time. And it took me into like a, uh, it took me a few years to get out of it. I was just confused of why I was here. Is there any career path? Should I be leaving the government and finding something else now? Mm -hmm. Super stressed out. And when I, and I mentioned, you know, like my, my family was super proud of me joining the government. Just picture, I used to go into the government building in Ottawa mm -hmm. and, uh, and we're, a sick community and we happen to drive a lot of we, we drive taxi cabs and, and so going in front of the government building each day I had like a row of fans in front of me like I'd, I'd walk into the front of the building and and people be kind of cheering me on like hey like you know like we're so <laughs> proud of you like can you get you know can you take my cv jokingly or can you help my son or daughter get into the <laughs> government of Canada and so I walked on with all this pride into into, into every single day into the job and, and then when I when I didn't feel so proud and I kind of found myself in this, in kind of this whirlwind of, of emotions and, and challenges, mm -hmm. I was ducking that line. I was taking the back door in the building because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to react. You know, they're working, they're looking for opportunities. Heck, I'm looking for opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I felt embarrassed. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it turns out that it was a, it was a black woman um, that actually got me out of it. She mm -hmm. stood up for me, gave me a bit of counseling, and um and it took some time but it was her that gave me that support and so you know just back in, and, and so i and, and i'm super thankful for her mm -hmm. and so just to say that that idea of you know you know equity and helping each other it doesn't have to be from a visible minority per se or any of those networks we just we're just trying to help each other as best we can in, in these spaces and so it took me some time to get out of it i, I think it was through time mm -hmm. that i found you know a bit of healing and um and then finding a new opportunity for myself um somewhere else just kind of a reset in my in my career and uh, I felt like I was doing all the right things 
and it's just a matter of just maybe trying it somewhere else a bit differently. That really puts into perspective how much just the actions of one person helping another person can be such a huge, a huge help. You know what I mean? Like we thankfully have networks for that, but perhaps at the time that networks weren't as known, just spread out the way that they are now. I'm so glad that, uh, that that woman helped you because uh, now you get to pay that forward and you have been paying that forward. That's so exactly that's really great. And, and if I can just jump in, um, <clears throat> you know, what you said, uh, just Paul was probably spoke volumes to a lot of our listeners, just with that story of feeling like you're, you know, you're trying to help someone, but you're also trying to help yourself. And, and I'm sure there, there are many listeners um, who, who will resonate with that. Wondering what comments or suggestions you might share uh, for those people, um, or or in general, mm, you can't give up. I, I think I, I think that I think that's just what it comes down to. Like you know, um, again, from my own personal perspective, it was that idea of sacrifices made to get me to where I am today, and and all the people who are behind it, and and so for that and. And I'm not saying that everybody is as fortunate as I was to have that, you know, background. But I think for me, it's just that um, don't let that one moment or that one situation define you, right? Like you are you and you need to kind of figure yourself out, find the support you need. And we're really fortunate today that there's a lot more, you know, there's there's a lot of channels and, and availability of information today that wasn't available to me back then. And I think that just kind of like, you know, and I'm talking about self-healing, finding kind of, you know, your own identity. Um, you can find these things kind of available. And if you can't find that support, mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate yeah. where I am today. Like, I think that, you know, like it's, you know, there's, 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 some, there's some hills I had to kind of, you know, go up to get to the point that I am today. And I'm not, and I'm not perfect by any means. And, and my route wasn't necessarily perfect either. But just, I think if you're just devoted into this idea of, of, of public service and, mm-hmm. and, and just wanting to give back and being able to reach uh, out as many people as you can, then you can't give up. And, and, um, and so just find the mechanisms that make you feel good about yourself. Take advantage of any tools that are around you as best as you can. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and don't be, and, and this is where I'm coming from, I think from a cultural perspective is be open about it. I think. I think back then I wasn't. I, I, I was. I was a bit hesitant. You know that that idea of just you know like of, of asking for help, or or being maybe like you know just like feel embarrassed about needing help. Mm-hmm. I was definitely embarrassed about where I was, and being in that position. I was definitely embarrassed about that. Um, but I think it's only through opening it up, and and having those and, and just like saying it and, and feeling it is at least you're you're. It's, it's come across, you know, I think there's, there's an element of just kind of healing and just saying it or writing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and these are things that I've learned today, but yeah, so I just, you know, I encourage your listeners to like reach out to find somebody in your, in your, in your network of people, whether it's at work or at home or through friendship, just to talk it through a bit. Um, I, I think that I think that's what it comes down to. It's just I think through just through conversation, we can find some healing, and, and we can maybe find that next step. And you never know where it's going to come from. Like you, you really don't. Uh, you know where that next step is. And so I don't think there's like a magic bullet for this per se. 
but just being open and searching for it, I think that people, your, your listeners will find it as, as best as they can. And, and knowing that these networks are available, identify mm-hmm. and support them. I think through those networks of uh, these, these networks that we have now established in the government of Canada are super important. It's a network of people all kind of, you know, in the same storyline, looking for, for equity, looking for support and helping each other. And so through, through that community, like just realize that you're, you're we're 400,000 like strong. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where it is. And so I just, I, I really hope that the listeners aren't finding themselves in that, in that situation if they are, but just, just be open as best as you can about it. That, uh, that definitely plagued me also early in my career for sure is that I was, I think it was a pride thing. I don't know what it is, but saying that, oh, I need help, that was not something that I think that I wanted to do. We always want to think that, no, we could do this by ourselves, but the truth is nobody gets it anywhere by themselves. And I had to learn that the hard way. Um, So taking it from the individual level to the macro level, um, thinking about your path, how like, how do you think uh, we've done in our inclusion and diversity efforts within the government? Um, what have we done well? And what do we still need to work on? What have we done well? I think that the conversations uh, are, are much more open and transparent. Like, I, you know, at Church Services Canada, we have a really good thing going on. It, it, it's it's president speaking about it we have an ombudsman speaking about it we have our network speaking about it and so like we have like i'm i'm so happy to be at shared services canada i feel very fortunate to be where i am so what's working well is there's open conversations coming from the highest of, of leadership very open transparency conversations you know the conversations that nobody wants to have we're having them you know and and so there's that what we need to work on i think that you know we need to just, there's a lot of stories that come from, from Canada. And, you know, I grew up in, in, in Ottawa, born and raised in Ottawa. And uh, so it's a government town. And, um, and, and, there's, and there's challenges from an equity perspective in Ottawa. What I find disappointing sometimes is that we look at American events like Mr. Floyd um, as, as a reason to kickstart these conversations. But that's um, but there's things that are happening here, and and when we start talking about it and, and pointing to like you know American politics or like you know that's an American thing, we kind of we kind of distance ourselves like oh that happens in America, and like that's an American incident that we kind of, there's like a we we're not holding ourselves accountable enough, mm-hmm. and, and it's and it's because we're using stories that aren't like tied necessarily to Canada. So when you know. When I heard about the, and I didn't know about it as a kid, but when I heard about, you know, the indigenous plight of, you know, all these missing children, like, wow, like, are you kidding me? And this was like, and, and so like that, that really struck me. So I, uh, right away, I was like, you know, reaching out, like, how can I help in this space? There's events that happen, again, in Ottawa, in our towns, that people are feeling in our communities. And if we don't speak about them, like directly, I think then um, we're losing the value and we're losing the confidence of our public servants. So when somebody's, you know, faces police brutality, just as one example, but we're not speaking about that event, 
and we keep pointing to American politics as, as, as like they're, 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 we're not holding ourselves accountable. It's happening in Ottawa in a government town where these people who go to work as government employees may have been around these situations or know of these situations. So what are you doing about it? Like, have you reached out to those communities? Have you reached out to the people in your workplace to have those conversations, to offer mm -hmm. support? I think so, you know, just in that kind of space, I think that just that, so I'm really proud of where the government's taking this conversation. I think we just got to focus on ourselves and the communities around that we serve and have those frank conversations about those events specifically and not always point about somebody else's challenges over there. Like, you know, I, I don't think that like that's, um, there, there's something missing when you do that. What about ism? What about this community? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I think that there's that. So you know, just and and so part of what I like to do is just is to bring back those conversations that it does happen. Mm -hmm. It's it's not it does it it's happening today, uh, and, and so let's talk about it, and, and and support the people that are in our in our in the federal government with those conversations, and then and then you'll you'll increase the confidence. You'll build those trust that that trust is super important. You build up the trust mm -hmm. of our people. And with that comes a better public service, more transparency, better efficiencies, okay. et cetera. And so I think it's definitely part of Canadian federal government's interest to do these things mm -hmm. and, and support our people. And actually, I just came from a meeting where um, someone from someone who heads up like the LGBTQIA communities and networks said that uh, he just heard today again that after all sort of like the targeted LGBTQ shootings in the States, like, oh, that doesn't happen in Canada, that happens in the US. So that just happened today. Um, and he pointed out, found some stats to say, you know what, that's just wrong. We see it here all the time. That's exactly mm -hmm. it. When it's a home story, it's, it's tough to have that conversation when it's at home, mm -hmm. but that's exactly what's needed. That's right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just sort of, you know, made me think that as we're talking about this, how close do we have to feel to be a neighbor to someone to then care about the issue so much, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to projectile, like just projecting, you know, for, or importing from somewhere else. Um, what's the reason for that? Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's a great, um, you know, observation. And hopefully, hopefully we are, I think, moving forward, you know, even as a result of of having you here, Joss Paul, like thinking more about our our local, our how people locally are doing. How are the people Absolutely. around us doing? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now I know you mentioned that as you were growing uh, in the public service, that one of your one of your pieces of confidence and mentorship was music, um, mm -hmm. and you uh, you touched on Bob Marley and hip hop um, uh, as some of the some of the genres curious to know uh your what is your top sort of album that you're listening to or that perhaps you would recommend uh, given the conversation that we've had so far that's a very good question so what's in my playlist is what yeah. you're asking. <laughs> i think what, what captures it the best and it's not something recent but it was a collaboration between Nas and Damien Marley. Mm. And the album is called Distant Relatives. Nice. I would say uh, check that out for sure. That's like that, that's, you know, like, if there was ever like a, a, an album that kind of speaks to both genres, it, genres, it would be that. 
Um, and and when I say the Marlies, um, and there's a lot of Marlies, I, I wouldn't say it's just Bob necessarily. I think that you know the, um, what what strikes me the most because I love that that rhythm, that baseline of it is definitely Damien Marley, and he's speaking a lot to uh, to a lot of these equity kind of conversations. When it comes to hip hop, and it was and I was very fortunate as a kid to see him. One of my first ever um, times seeing a concert live was KRS One. Was incredible. And I was glued to, like, I, I've been glued to his, his work. And so um, when I think of albums, I, I, you know, I, I just, you know, albums aside, I think just that the idea of just knowledge reigns supreme. I, I think that's exactly what it comes down to is, is that idea of just offering knowledge that you may not be able to find in your regular textbooks in your regular history that you're being offered. And so for me, when I was listening to it, it was like gold, like I'm learning about history of Africa, like through mm-hmm. music and with a hard baseline. And I would learn about the indigenous kind of things it, it, with a rhythm behind it. And, and so KRS-One is definitely, um, is, is a hip hop influencer and somebody who I hold like in, in high account in my mind. Nazir Jones, Naz. Mm-hmm one of my favorite hip hop artists of all time. In mm-hmm. fact, I named one of my sons Nazir, just to let you know how much, <laughs> just to let you know how, how much uh, I appreciate what, uh, what he's done for communities around it. And so it's that idea of storytelling. And so, yeah, KRS-One, Nas, and then Damian Marley, and then have to have Nas and Damian Marley on the same mm-hmm. album together, Distant Relatives. Mm-hmm. Beautiful music, beautiful, beautiful music. And I got my ear to the, and I got my ear to all sorts of song, you know, all sorts of music today. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, there's there's a lot of good music today, mm-hmm. um, but I'm always see- seeking that kind of that conscious that that truth in yeah. the conversations where you can't necessarily find it in the news, you can't find it anywhere else but through that where you have people like close to the streets mm-hmm. that are really understanding what's going on. Yeah, and and it's and it's and it's relatable mm-hmm. to a lot of us. Yeah, that's. That's amazing what you've shared. And, you know, when I think about exactly what you just mentioned about what's going on in the world, I think of uh, Lauren Hill, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, everything is everything. Um, And those were the, for me, at least as growing up, like those were the educational songs. That's where I got, you know, some of the good education. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Jazz, so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jazz. Great, great time. Uh, and hopefully we can continue the conversation soon. Thank you, Neha. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it so much. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ideanomics podcast. We hope it was enjoyable for you as it was for us. For more anti-racism news, please follow us on our social media channels on Twitter, Iran Network, underscore PS and our LinkedIn Anti-Racism Ambassadors Network. If you would like us to discuss any topics on the podcast or if you have any questions, please DM us on our social channels or email us at aran.publicservants at gmail.com. This episode was hosted by Sean Karmadi and Neha Shezad and produced by Marcella Popovich. Thanks so much and see you next time.